0: Good to see you all. Uh, week six, guys. It's like pretty good. You made it quite a ways in the semester. It's really uh, going by quick, huh? Anybody feel like it's going by pretty quick? Yeah, okay, cool. Well, um, if you've been coming to RUF, which most of you have, you know that we've been going through the parables uh, that Jesus taught. And, you know, we're looking at these parables because. Uh, They pack so much into what seems like a simple story, and there's just a lot. Jesus was able to use these to uh, kind of subversively even teach uh, about uh, the kingdom of God and what God is doing in the world. And we're coming tonight to one that's just, I think, one of the most fascinating parables, uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, It's about... A lot of it, it gets into hell a little bit. And if you have questions, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but if you want to talk more about hell and heaven and that kind of thing, I'd love, I'd love to meet up and talk about it. Uh, but uh, I don't know. It's just really cool. I'll read it for us and you'll see. That's really cool. So um, Luke 16, starting in verse 19. Uh, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house where I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Uh, Kind of a lot there, so let's pray. Uh, Father, we uh, pray that you'd make sense of this parable for us tonight. I pray for these students that are here that uh, come from a lot going on in life and school and uh with a lot of burdens that they carry and i pray that you'd meet them uh, where they are with your word Uh, would you give us peace Uh, would you set us free through it and it's in christ's name i pray amen Uh, before i lived in connecticut i lived in st louis missouri i was a grad student and uh while I was there I was living in this apartment and my apartment was a little janky to be honest and I would start to hear I'd be like in my apartment alone and I would hear a gurgling sound. I'd be like what is that? (coughs) Oh well it's probably nothing. And then I would start to notice sometimes I'd look into my kitchen sink and there would be this like black like sediment in there like sand and stuff And I would just be like, oh, weird, you know? Like, (laughs) it's probably nothing though. Like, it's no big deal. Uh, I'm not gonna, who cares? Like, it's it's fine. My sink is fine. My apartment is fine. And then one, in the summertime, I went away for a week and I came back to a rancid smelling apartment and I went into my kitchen and there were black puddles everywhere. And the kitchen sink was filled to the very top with black water. Disgusting, smelly, black water, and what had happened, I later found out was that there was a clog in the pipe under my sink, and there were obviously a really like nasty clog and The people who lived above me the whole week I was gone, they were running like whenever they would run their sink, it would connect to the pipe that my sink went to, and then it would hit this clog and it would back up straight into my sink because I was below them. And so like they were their nasty sink water and my nasty water was just like backing up into my kitchen and uh, it was really, really gross. And the problem, the reason my apartment flooded with the most disgusting water I've ever encountered was that I chose to live in a false reality <laughs> instead of facing a real reality which is like something's wrong with my sink. And instead I had all the hints, you know, like I should have known I could have said like something's wrong with my sink. There's a gurgling sound and there's sediment showing up in my sink. And like some, like it was already happening while I was home, but I chose not to acknowledge it. Um, this is a parable that has to do with hell, which, as I said before, we can talk more about hell. If you guys want to talk about hell, I'd be glad to. Uh, but one of the, you know, it's interesting in here, like the interesting, about, interesting thing about hell for Jesus's audience in this time was not that there was a hell, everyone then believed in hell. But uh, what would have been shocking is that uh, there's a man in this story with an easy life who ends up in hell and a man with a really hard life who ends up in heaven. Okay, so being in hell or being alienated from God, this is saying, is far less about external circumstances. External circumstances really mean nothing. Uh, when it comes to hell, and it's much more about internal self-deception. So the parable goes like this. Uh, there's a rich man, he only wears supreme clothing. that's all he wears. Purple and linen, right? Their version. Um, linen underwear. guy is a baller. Uh, every day is a feast. Like literally every day, every day is a feast for this guy. And then there is Lazarus. He is a poor man who has an extraordinarily difficult Life. Uh, He's poor. He has sores all over his body. He sits at the gate uh, of this rich man longing to be fed. And the dogs, you know, everyone hated dogs back then, not like today. Uh, They were his only friends. They licked his sores for him. And so Lazarus dies and goes to heaven. And the rich man dies and goes to hell in the parable that Jesus tells. And in hell... Uh, Lazarus is able to get this glimpse or the rich man is able to get this glimpse of Lazarus in heaven there with Abraham you know back then everyone Abraham is like the man in the bible testament so everyone knew Abraham would be in heaven and so he sees Abraham there with Lazarus and he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to hell to cool his tongue and must be hot there and Abraham explains that things are reversed now and there's this chasm between them and uh, that can't be done. And then the rich man asks him to well, he says, send Lazarus because I have brothers. I'm, I'm worried about them. And, and Abraham says that Moses, they have the Bible. Moses and the prophets is their Bible. So they have the Bible. They have all they need to know. It's in the Bible. And the rich man says at the end, he says, well, they, you know, if someone comes to them from the dead, then they'll believe. Okay. And, And the parable concludes by saying Abraham says, well, if they don't believe the Bible, they won't believe, even if someone rises from the dead. And um, what I want us to look at in this passage is the idea of self-deception. The rich man and we and Jesus's audience all have the same problem, which is self-deception. We can deceive ourselves. And so I want to look at the power of self-deception. I want to look at what wealth does to that. And then I want to look at the end of self-deception and the solution to it. So first of all, I want to look at the power of it. Uh, Any Office fans up in here? The Office? Yeah, a bunch of fans. Okay, cool. Um, The Office is so funny. And part of the reason that it's so funny is because it's true. Like, you know, Michael Scott is this character that makes us all feel uncomfortable, partly because he acts the way that we often feel like acting, but we like know enough to not act that way. And he says out loud things that people, that we think, uh, one of my favorite episodes is called the injury where he burns his foot on a George (laughs) Foreman grill and he shows up at the office and just like us, he wants attention. Like, don't we all just want attention, especially when we're hurting, but like in like a small child does this, (laughs) but he does it where he's just like wants everyone. He's like, don't look at my injury, but he like wants everyone to look at it. And he's like, don't do anything special for me guys. And Mm -hmm. it's like, but he wants them to do it. And he's like, rub butter on my foot. And uh, you know, they Dwight in that episode ends up getting a concussion. You remember this? And then like Michael goes with them to the hospital and they're filling out the form. It's like, why are you at the hospital? And he's like, and Michael Scott writes, bringing someone to the hospital. <laughs> and he's like, you're supposed to be, why is Dwight at the hospital? And big picture, everything is about Michael Scott. Like he never gets that the reason he has no friends is because he's actually obsessed with himself. Uh, he, he wants friends because he wants to feel special. He doesn't want friends for the right reasons, and he never gets it. Um, and our self-deception with the relation to God is similarly hard to shake. You know, this is called sin in the Bible, and it starts with self-deception. Um, well, it starts with a lie. Uh, Genesis chapter three, we looked at this in our Bible studies a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, God creates a perfect world. He creates Adam and Eve to be with him in it and everything is wonderful and good. And, and the serpent shows up and gets them to believe a lie. Uh, And the lie is, you know, God is holding out on you. You should, there's one rule that he said to follow and you should not follow it because he knows something. He knows that you're going to get something good out of this. And so, uh, you know, you'll be better off without him. You need to take what's yours. And I want you to just think, think for a second about the enormity of that lie. Like the, the lie is you'll be okay, like disregarding God in a world that he created and that he's in control of. You don't need him. Like, how much of a lie is that? But it works. It works on Adam and Eve, and it works on us all the time. And the power of self-deception is that it seems easier. Like, eating the fruit seems good, and it's right there, and I should just take it. Why would I wait, or why would I question, or why, why would I not know something that I couldn't know? And on the surface, it's easier, right? Like the power of self-deception is it seems easier and it kind of is easier on the surface. Taking a fruit or doing something that feels right. Ignoring the clog in my sink. (laughs) That was easy. I didn't have to do anything. It was nice just to ignore it. Um, And Adam and Eve can either be completely exposed before God as traitors after they sin, or they can hide and they can sew leaves together and try to make life work outside the garden and it's a tough call right it's either like come clean to god who you have just disobeyed and rebelled against or try to make it work do what seems to work Um, i one time i read anybody a snoozer with the alarm clock in the morning some snoozers in here i'm somewhat of a snoozer myself and I read this article, and it was just saying that, like, when you hit the snooze, like, when you're tired and you wake up from a deep sleep to an alarm and you snooze, it will always be harder to wake up the next time. Like, you get nine minutes more sleep, and when it goes off again, it'll be worse. And if you do it again, it'll just keep getting worse. And I read that article. It did nothing for me. Like, I know it's worse, but it feels good, you know? Like, The power of self-deception and sin ultimately is that it can perpetuate itself even though deep down we know it's a lie, right? It can make us, sin can make us live a lie forever, and we are always living lies, guys. So that's the power of self-deception. Now I want to think about what wealth does to that, okay? On the surface, it kind of seems like this parable is saying wealth is bad, which it's not, in the bible there are many godly wealthy people and jesus teaches a lot about money but he never says that wealth is bad but what he does say and what this parable teaches us is that wealth has the capacity to make the lie seem more true the lie of you don't need god you're doing fine right um you know like saving your you know how could it be bad if I have like, you know, how could I be doomed ultimately if I have like a billion dollars or, you know, how could I be doomed if I'm living comfortably? Like what could possibly go wrong? Uh, you know, think about this guy here. He's like, I've got linen underwear. What do I have to worry about? Honestly, I feast every day. Um, in other words, we try to save ourselves through money. Money is something that we will latch onto or any form of wealth, really relationships, all kinds of things that we cling to because we think, how bad could anything really get if I have this? You know, that's where the rich man is at. He's like, how could anything get bad for me in this life? Um, Your life circumstances, though, whether you're rich or poor, whether your life is easy or hard, have very little to do with whether you actually know the God who made you or not. Uh, So this is, you know, Thinking about that, like, one way this parable needs to change us is thinking about the things we think we need, the things we pray for, the things we long for. Uh, It should change the way we pray, because a lot of times we think, God, I need this. And the truth is, we don't know what we need, and sometimes getting what we need, what we think we need, is the best way to kind of find life apart from God. You know, God, I need you to give me this thing, and that thing is actually what's going to make me feel like I don't need you. It's going to make me feel like I can save myself. So I should change the way that we pray and instead to pray, you know, God, you know what I need. Uh, You know what would be best for me to have. Uh, Because the reality is I don't have a clue what would be best, what the best life for me should be. You know, like a lot of times we try to plan out our life. You know, this is what I need. This is kind of the plan that needs to work out. These are the grades I need to get. This is the job I need to get. This is the boyfriend or girlfriend I need to get. And some of that, all that stuff is fine on the surface. Uh, but if you need it to plot out a life where you don't need God to save you, then it might be the worst, those things could be the worst things for you. And how many people do you know, or have you heard of that awful things happen to in life, things that you would never want to happen to you. And it's a part of a beautiful story in their life. Um, So sometimes the worst thing that can happen is to get what you want. That's the message regarding money here. Uh, So I want to ask you guys tonight, what are you turning to instead of God for salvation, to make everything okay in your life? Uh, So that's what money does. But now I want to look at the end of self-deception, where it takes you. Uh, If you were... Something your parents, your dads are all probably into. A movie is called Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Has anybody seen it? It's kind of like old man humor, British humor. And uh, kind of just like really silly, stupid, but like really funny humor. And uh, it's about this quest for the Holy Grail. And this King Arthur and his knights are on this quest. And they come up to the Black Knight. And the Black Knight says, he's at like a... Crossing, And he's like, none shall pass. And, and so they have to fight the black. He has to fight. King Arthur fights the black knight. And he cuts off his arm. And King Arthur's like, all right. Okay. and he's, he's like actually bowing to pray because he's just like killed a man. And, and the black knight gets up and starts fighting him with his other, knight, other arm. Even though blood is like spurting, like horrible special effects, blood is just like spurting out of one arm. And, and so he cuts off the other arm. And then the guy, he starts kicking at him. And uh, he cuts off one leg, and he's hopping around, and he cuts off the other leg, and this is stump of a man with no limbs. And he's, he's saying things along the way, like it's just a flesh wound, and and finally at the end, he, as he's like, as they're moving on, he's like, I'll bite your legs off. <laughs> um. Right. This is a man who is totally self-deceived and the result is and the result for us when we're self-deceived is we lose everything the end of self-deception is you are lost forever you lose everything and when we we see that because the rich man is still deceived even in hell he keeps trying to get lazarus to do stuff for him in hell he's like send lazarus he'll do it he he's still looking out only for himself, in this case, his family. He's like, well, go after my family then. Like, do everything for me. Me, 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 me. He still can't see that his problem is him. He thinks if he just had a more powerful encounter with God, like he talks about in here, uh, then he would have been fine. You know, I would have been okay. He thinks, maybe if my brothers have a powerful encounter with God, they'll, they'll, they'll do the right thing. They'll believe. <laughs> um, there's a book. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing little book called The Great Divorce about a bus ride from hell to heaven, which I would highly recommend. You could read it in the sitting. It's really great. And in that book, it's a fantasy story. But in that book, he writes, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice there could be no help. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, to those who knock it is opened. And uh, this is why we make a big deal about like looking at the actual Bible and RUF and uh, you know when we do Bible studies we try to get to the bottom of like what does this actually say? Like what is the truth in this text that we need to get to? That's why we care about precision and getting to the bottom of what it says uh, instead of just saying, well, it's true for me, you know, or something like that. Because if we lose truth, there are disastrous consequences. Uh, And here is the truth. If God seems far off, it's our fault, not his. Okay, if we're having trouble believing in him and trusting him, it's not because he hasn't shown that he's there and that he's trustworthy. It's because our hearts get caught in this vortex of self-deception that will lead us straight to hell unless God himself rescues us. And the way that that's depicted in this parable is a chasm, a big gap, a big uh, you know, canyon between us and him. Uh, and you know, what's the worst thing about hell? We get a hint from the fact that there's a man in this parable that has no name. This is a man who's utterly alone. He's separated from God and everyone so much so that there's no point in having a name because what would you do with a name if you were that alone? And in contrast, there's this man named Lazarus who does have a name. You know what the name Lazarus means? It means the one who God helps. So I want to close by looking at God's solution to this problem of self-deception. What will actually soften your heart? What will break the power of self-deception? The thing that makes it so hard, so basically impossible to turn to God is that the first step is to admit, I am in trouble. Like right now, I have a problem. I'm in trouble. I need help. It's taking the plunge and giving up on the whole self-deception strategy. Saying, I went down that path. It was bad for me. Like it's not helping me. I, it keeps getting worse. Uh, interestingly, Lazarus has no problem with that. <laughs> he has no problem he adm- admitting he needs help. Uh, that's why, have you ever like known someone or yourself gone on one of those like mission trips or service trips to a poor country? Mexico, Africa, something like that. And what people always say when they go on those trips, I've heard from a lot of people, I've gone on them myself. They come back and they say the people were in such poverty. And they say, what do they, they always say? And they were so happy. They seemed more joyful than we are here. You know, why would that be? Because they're like Lazarus. They can just say, Help, I need help. (laughs) You know, if you're not not poor, it feels like a risk to admit that you have a great need that you can't uh, just access on your own. It feels like a risk. On one hand, you're living a lie. But on the other hand, turning to face a God that you have opposed your whole life seems like a huge risk. Uh, We hate living the lie, the cycle of self deception. We know it's a lie. But the insecurity of, like, really coming to a holy God as we are, like we sang, feels very frightening. You know, we're not sure how God is going to deal with the real me, the one that, you know, has spent a lifetime avoiding him. And so Jesus comes along and he says, okay, so the whole problem, the root of this self-deception problem is you know how can you turn to him when you've gone so far astray? What if I could take away everything that would make you not want to turn to God and say, help, I'm not okay. God, I'm not okay. What if I could make it so that you could stop living a lie and be ultimately secure at the same time? And the answer, the way that Jesus does that, we get in this text is that he's already on his way to do it. He tells this parable as he goes to the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem, where he'll be arrested and killed. And on the cross, where he's going, Jesus gets punished like someone who's been living a lie. He experiences actual hell. It's unleashed on him there. Uh, He's crucified alone. He's cast out. Uh, When he cries to his father, by the way, Jesus has only referred to God as father up to this point. And on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Instead of saying, Father, because he's been cut off. And the reason he does that is so that we can relate to God as a father, as we turn to him from our self-deception, from our sin. Instead of not having an identity like the man in this parable, or trying to create an identity with our wealth, Jesus says, take my identity. We're with him now. He breaks the power of sin. And if that's what happened on the cross, then the, the thing we fear the most about turning to God as sinners is gone. We don't have any reason to live a lie anymore. We can just admit that we're not okay. Because on the cross, Jesus secured that acceptance by God. Uh, I wish you guys could see way I smile at my kids throughout the day. Like sometimes my kids will just like appear in a room and the first thing that happens to me is I'm just like, well you can't see because I'm wearing a mask. Uh, <laughs> but this gigantic smile shows up on my face and it's not because of anything but just the fact that I love them so deeply and they could do anything like this. The simplest thing they do like gives me such joy just because I love them so much. And do you know that Jesus as the son of God, the eternal son of the king, giving us that identity, like he gives us that identity so that when God looks at you, even when you've been rebellious, that's the smile. The smile is just like, ah, oh, there he is. There she is. Oh, she's great. I love her so much. What would it do to you if that was the God you served? if that was the God you turn to from the, the cycle of self-deception that you're just like living where you're kind of floating by hoping that somehow things work out even though you've been ignoring God. Um, knowing Jesus, when you come to know God through Jesus in this way, it'll make you okay with not being okay. We really want our UF to be about that. Uh, wouldn't it be great uh, to just have a place where it could be okay to not be okay? You know, to know that like, hey guys, I'm not doing Okay. Don't have it all together. Uh, I know that God loves me. I know that he's working in me, Uh, but I'm I'm not okay. Uh, Knowing Jesus will make you exchange feasting now for feasting later. Um, You know, there's a lot of pressure in life now to just like, you got to get what you need now. You got to hoard it for yourself. And what this, what knowing Jesus can do to you is say, I'm going to be at a feast someday. I don't need to feast today. I don't need to have it all now. And it'll give you compassion for those in need, the poor, the, the really badly off. And it'll ultimately make you rejoice. Uh, you'll live a life of joy instead of a life of just self-consumption and sadness. Uh, so let me pray for us in closing that we would uh, find joy in this gospel. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we... Uh, desperately need to be confronted with just the beauty of jesus uh, the gospel that can make us come to you even uh, as people that have turned from you Uh, we pray that you would heal our hearts from all the ways that we uh, just ways we continually try to live like you're not there, like you don't matter, like we don't need you, even though we desperately do. We pray uh, that you'd be glorified in our life and that you'd be glorified in this community, Uh, that we would live it out together and that you'd bless us. Uh, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.